But if you want to have real sex and you want to go into love making for real and not just having intercourse, it's a whole different game altogether. I get this question a lot. So what do I think is the best sex? Welcome to the Wellness Hood Podcast, a place where curious individuals like you gather to explore the diverse realms of wellness. Here, we're going to share, learn, and hopefully inspire one another on our journey to reach our best version. Welcome to the Wellness Hood. How are you today? I'm honored to have Dr. Angela Tan joining us. Dr. Angela is an intimacy coach blending evidence-based medicine with human psychology, an expert in guiding individuals and couples through intimacy challenges. Dr. Angela is the co-founder of ARAS, which stands for the Academy of Relationship and Sex. Our conversation tackles a topic that is often considered taboo, but crucial to discuss. It was so nice to talk to Dr. Angela about sex, like we were talking about the weather so comfortably. In this episode, we're exploring the definitions of sex and intimacy, highlighting their profound effects. We delve into the unescapable influence of pornography, discuss the complexities of infidelity, and more, which I cannot give it away. Tune in and you'll find out for yourself. One more thing that I want to add is to say thank you to all of those who send their anonymous questions. It was our first episode that we co-created with you, and it worked really well. So I hope the answers help. And on the next one, keep that coming. It's a great episode that hopefully will help you rethink about your perception and approach to intimacy. I hope you enjoy it. Hi, Dr. Angela. Hi. How are you? I'm good. I'm so excited to have you in my office today. I'm super excited and thrilled to be here. Look at us on a beautiful tatami with amazing toys. That, and as you later, what I don't look for. <laughs> really cool. Could you help us introduce yourself? What take you to be a sex and intimacy cover? Didn't have an intent to start all this after when we were in school, when the teachers asked you to write an essay of, no, what do I want to be when I grow up? Sex and intimacy coach would not be in the mind of a 10-year-old. I don't think there was such a career back then as well. It kind of evolved along the way. After medical school, so I did my internship, I did my specialized training, I became a family physician. And then at one point in time, my career, I was working in the general practice. And I had people coming in asking me, we just have our kid, where's a good time to have sex? Or we just had our kid and sex is not going quite well, what should I do? Or emails coming in, I have problems with erection. Is Viagra the solution? Or I have elderly males coming asking for a Viagra prescription and I was too embarrassed even to ask, who's your sex partner? Things like that make me question with a master's in medicine, not equipped to handle all these questions. I felt a bit embarrassed in that way. I studied so hard and so much and I can't answer your questions. I felt really helpless. So doctors being doctors, we like to do a lot of referrals. Whenever we can't handle something, we kind of refer to our colleague. Realize I do not know who to refer to because it's not really a gynecological problem. Neither is it entirely a neurological problem. At a point in time, the term sexologist was hardly available, especially locally. So that pretty much was at the back of my head for a while until I chanced upon that, hey, that actually advanced studies overseas for me to equip myself in this area. And that was how I started on this journey. Excellent. Where, where did you go to study? I was in Europe, actually. I actually had this school of sexual medicine in Europe. And the whole trainings regularly for healthcare practitioners to equip ourselves with the sexual medicine skill set, with the ideology of how do you actually counsel a patient, 
when it comes to you with sex problems. So it was really nice because it was very holistic. Not just the medical side of things, they talk about the emotional, psychological side of things. And with a coaching background for myself for the last 15 years, it really helped for me to understand things at the bigger picture. So I already had the skill sets to communicate. I already had the skill sets to facilitate. Now I just need the extra input that, which they gave me to make it into a more solid practice. I love it. And I think it's so important to have that. Be more of a holistic approach, not mm-hmm. only the scientific yeah. advice. Also, mm-hmm. It's such a personal topic, mm-hmm. taboo for many. So to be able to have that emotional side, I understand that as you do here, setting up this amazing, comfortable place, safe space. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. it's really key. Yeah, I like it because it's not just the psychological, emotional. The scientific part is important because when studies are done, you know that something works consistently for a population. Yes, there are nuances, all right? But you can map out these evidences onto your day-to-day practice and it makes the whole practice a lot more solid and less fluffy because a lot of people think, oh, you go to a string. You're going to talk about fluffy stuff. There's no basis to it. It's how you feel about it. But that's not entirely true either. So how do you marry everything and blend it together? I think that's the beauty of the whole practice I have right here. That has a scientific grounding as well as the space for you to be safe to explore who you are as an individual in your sexuality. I love it. I think Mm. it's just a fantastic concept and we need more of you. (laughs) And that's my next question to you because it's such Mm -hmm. a taboo. So why do you think people are so reluctant to speak only about sex? What is it? This is very awkward because if you look at it, animals can do it perfectly without an issue. They just get it on and then bam. You have sex, takes have orgasms that last over an hour, and then they have tons of babies. And here you look at a poor human struggling. How will you feel like me being the, the smartest mammals around and you have probably having sex? It's really awkward, isn't it? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it makes it like really it's, it's high resistance for people to seek for help. Supposed to be something so intuitive, so instinctive, and yet I have to ask people how to do it. So that's a huge resistance in itself. I understand. Given that topic, that taboo, you know, mm-hmm. when people come here, what are the most common cases that people ask well, about? So, yeah, because uh, in my practice, I see quite a fair bit of couples with sex issues. So the key term is sexless marriage. Either they were still virgins to begin with, or they married someone else in a way, and things are not working out well, or after kids, or after a major stress event in their lives, their sex frequency declined. So I see a lot of couples like that. Because sex is such a key, mm. I need to know your expertise, but I believe that sex is such a key element, right? It is a key element, but this is also where the stress is. Because if we have this whole stereotype that you must have sex at least once a day to prove that your relationship is working fine, then there are just people who don't want it once a week. And there are people who want it twice a day. Yeah. And there are people who are happy with it once every six months. So who are we to dictate know what's normal and what's abnormal? And what is really good for the relationship. So my basis is, if you're having a fulfilling relationship, you're having a fulfilling sex life, it's not about the frequency. But are you truly connecting with your loved one during the entire relationship, including the sexual intimacy portion? And in that case, so if people come, for example, mainly because they maybe they don't know what's correct, or mm. they think that mm. because in a case that maybe a couple has sex every once every six months, they think there's something wrong with us, yes. right? And yes. the stress starts, and yes. maybe what they come to you. Mm-hmm. What can we do? What's right? What's wrong? How do you go this kind? One, I explore, of course, what is their inherent sex drive and what is their schedule like? Do they actually want to increase it? And are they actually having um, an enjoyable time doing that once in six months? If they're not, then there are more things for us to look into. Is that how they actually interact with each other? Because one of the things most couples do not realize is that in long-term couple, 
sex don't just happen because oh he looks so hot she looks so hot because <laughs> you're getting away close to each other as much as I love my husband <laughs> yeah exactly right and that's the everyday thing that you look at this man you go and the first thing you can hit he forgot to put out the toilet seat again he forgot to put the cup into the dishwasher again and these are the things that is appearing in our minds on a regular basis and that's not sexy at all I still think he's not sexy like that it's like, ah, you know? <laughs> so it's not easy when, when all these daily things occupy our mind, it really reduce our capacity to fantasize. Sometimes I work with couples working through their habit, their resentment, such that they are in a more loving space so that sex can happen more naturally than forced. Makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. And then how do you help them? And how does normally mm-hmm. work from you to first, I guess, both of them mm-hmm. to be willing to go through mm-hmm. the process? Only one is yes. the answer. But also just to understand the importance of that open communication mm. as well, because that's mm. another whole stage. Yes. Yes. Maybe you're happy or not with your sex life, but then how do you talk about it with your partner? That's another taboo as well. So that's the work that I do, I facilitate that a lot. So they will usually say, Okay, we're gonna see Dr. Angela tomorrow. I have some things, but okay, I wanna say now, let's talk about it tomorrow. <laughs> so somehow I become their crutch for communication at times. What I try to do is to actually train them to communicate openly. And how to not react by just simply listening to their partners and such that they can have this um, open communication, a mature communication at home in my absence. I mean, I don't want to be paid for just watching a TV show, right? <laughs> no, but I guess it's just to open them to help them. Yes. Communication and respect mm-hmm. there. They may have different perspectives or willing to do different things, maybe, or try yeah. different things. How can understand each other? And then how can they not just understand, but also to see if they are triggered, what actually makes them triggered? Because it might have triggered their insecurity in a way or some of their fears and trigger, oh no, this sense of whole vulnerability. And it can be scary. We might have been couples for 10 years, 20 years, but there are some things that we ourselves do not want to even look into ourselves. And through these little things, all these fears do keep up and they do need a safe space for it to be expressed. So other than, for example, these cases where couples are mm. going through their challenges, is there any other common challenges or misconceptions that people come to you about sex or intimacy? I would say, especially for newlywed couples who have not had sex before, they might come in with a lot of fear that sex is actually painful and how to go about it. And they've tried a couple of times, usually. Sex wasn't successful because it was painful, it was uncomfortable, they couldn't penetrate. Or maybe perhaps the male partner might have not being able to sustain erections due to the stress and anxiety that's involved. So in these cases, it's really about breaking down what is sex to them, what are the fears that they have, be it from religion or family constructs that kind of lump everything together. So we have to dismantle all of that. Yeah, in that case, I guess you need to dig deeper. And mm. it's not sometimes sex as itself is like all the context, context. and what's yes. around it and how that's perfectly functional yeah. because that the other elements not contributed to let them enjoy it. Yeah, exactly. I always tell my clients, the technicalities of sex is really straightforward. Basically, a penis makes a vagina and then they have sex. But then how do you ensure the penis is ready? How do you ensure the vagina is ready? And is really the vagina the only place that you need to pleasure? Because the truth is, most women achieve clitoral orgasms and not through vagina. There's a lot of misconceptions out there that think that the best sex ever means that you can penetrate longer or the penetrative aspect is very intense. That means the trusting is very intense. But then females will tell you, no, actually, I don't want it to be so intense. 
because it can be really traumatic at times when this guy just comes on top of you and bangs really hard. So a lot of this ideology of what great sex is, especially for porn, because porn seems to be the number one go-to sex ad for a lot of us. And there's a lot of misconception there in what it really is. I agree. And especially, and I don't know if you put children mm-hmm. as well, I can say it up close with the kids at school. Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. been recently just a case of kids just managed to have a subscription on a porn channel, distributing across the classes, and kids get really confused. So this yeah. is fantastic in terms of re-educating them and ensure that to my kids, I'm telling them, this is like wrestling playing. There's mm-hmm. no real fight. So it's almost, that's how I can explain it. But I think it, mm-hmm. it's really scary how, yeah, porn mm-hmm. is a reference mm-hmm. of what it's supposed to be. How can we all be better on getting better educated? Or what do you think could be a solution to that? For one, talking with your partner openly it's going to really help to understand what your partner actually likes and don't like. For some of us, we do masturbate, so we do have a good inclination of what our body enjoys. But we find it hard to tell our partner, actually, I like this a bit more. Because especially as an Asian, it's quite a taboo. I'm not sure whether it's it in Europe. For girls to actually voice out what you want, it might appear that you are a slut to a certain extent, mm-hmm. a loose woman or something like that. So most females hold back and trying to say, you know, what we want. And most guys will think that it's okay not to ask and just proceed because this is supposedly the best. Without the open communication, we don't really have a good understanding of what our partner like or don't like. I think obviously that close relationship, because it can be fun as well. It it's, just, it's supposed to be a play with a happy ending <laughs> or few happy endings, whatever. But, <laughs> but I think it's about, yeah, it's just sometimes it can be technical, it can be, or just a desire to have children. Like, I know people that don't like sex, so they don't want to have kids. Oh, yes. And I've already told my clients, let's keep it separate. If you want to have kids, it's a technical process. When the sperm is the egg, that's it. But if you want to have real sex and you're going to go into lovemaking for real and not just having intercourse, it's a whole different game altogether. I get this question a lot. So what do I think is the best sex? <laughs> so to me, it's the sense of vulnerability that you can fumble, you can do funny moves. And yes, you can lose an erection, you can lose your arousal from time to time, but you still enjoy the process and you still get back to it. And whether you finish or you don't finish, it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, do you have a good time? Do you have a good laugh? Not just hitting the big O all the time, but are you enjoying connecting with this somebody through your vulnerabilities? I love the answer. Mm-hmm. And I think it's back to sex and intimacy. Mm-hmm. They are somehow can be together, but also... A little bit not. separate, So what yeah. would be your definition? Just to okay. In general, you know, you've just got good sex. It's just basically having intercourse to a lot of people. But I always tell people that sex can be more than just intercourse. That can be outercourse. And that's where the foreplay comes in, the mutual stimulation come in, luring with toys, everything, role-playing, and this is all the outer course. And it's a lot more meaning than that, than just intercourse itself. And not every couple can do intercourse because there might be medical challenges as well. And there might be certain psychological challenges that they might have and it makes them not ready for intercourse. And you make intercourse like the key thing of all sex activity. Some of us are bound to be disappointed or being marginalized. So if you can focus on the whole experience itself, it's going to be so much more meaningful for everyone. Absolutely. And how important do you think it's intimacy on a couple? I think intimacy, not just at sexual level, but in the emotional level, the spiritual level, they're all important. Because it's like sometimes in how we romanticize couples is that our spouse or our partner has become our everything. 
our best friend, our confidante, our sex partner, our travel mate, our kid's parent, and our housemate or whatever, the whole thing. As much as they are there, it's important for us to have friendships and relationships outside this couple relationship so that we are fulfilled in different ways. So to me, yes, intimacy is important because we have so much emphasis on it. We should also encourage people to have intimate relationships outside with our romantic partner so we can be more fulfilled in all way. We're not putting all our eggs into one basket that way. Of course, you see this person as a lifelong partner. You want to have as much intimate moments as you want with him or her. Uh, such that this relationship becomes more meaningful and fulfilled. Makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure as well, people must have come here for issues like infidelity. Oh, yes. Yeah. So can you tell us more about it? Where do you think infidelity comes from? For one, I really think it's more common than we think there is. I don't know where it comes from exactly because there's so many confounding factors to it. Many people say, oh, if you're in a happy marriage, there won't be infidelity. And that is one of the misconceptions. And sometimes when we seek another partner, there are multiple reasons. But it's important to know what is that reason about? And if that reason is part of a compensation, then we want to relook at really working out the compensation. That's the inner work for every individual. Because to me, relationship bring out the best in us and also the worst in us. If you take our relationship as a good reflective mirror, we can really find out what's wrong. But no, most people, are we're not trained to actually look into ourselves because after all, school taught us how to be good in math, good in science, good at languages but never good with dealing with our own emotions and fears and insecurities. Mm. And in fact, how you deal with insecurity is by being a better, stronger person, more successful in terms of material wealth, in terms of your corporate ladder, how you climb it, and those are successful measures that we have. Nobody say you're successful because, oh, you know all about yourself and you've overcome all your inner fears. Okay, B.I. And as a result, there are many people who struggle with all this and then through having an affair with somebody it actually helps to make them feel better momentarily became a compensation of sorts be it i have men having multiple partners simply because it makes them feel good like they're being wanted and adored and then i have men looking for paid sex because during paid sex is more of a transaction he is empowered to do anything he wants well, I mean, say safely, without wondering whether oh, my partner like this, is this too hard, too soft, so that constraint is gone. And then, of course, there are people who are not having enough sex in their marriages, and hence they are looking for alternatives, so that at least they're not going home to pick a fight about it. And then I have female clients who come to me and say that they feel disconnected with their husband, and then this other guy came along and offered a connection which is beautiful in its own way. And then because they have kids, they have houses, it's hard to just leave your husband like that. So they carry on with their affair. And then there are people who say their husband was a bad lover. Like they didn't know how to ask consent. They didn't know how to pleasure her. And somebody else came along who does that. It doesn't give me the right to say they are wrong about whatever they are doing. Just what is needed at the moment or where, where the gaps are. Just that self-fulfillment. Or yeah. It's deeper. It's much deeper. And then what I wish is that if all of us has got more courage to face our inner fears and to work through it, things might be better. For example, talking through, hey, no, things are not working. And though I met someone, can I explore looking at an open relationship, for example? Is that something that is permissible? If we have the chance to talk more about such things, I'm not encouraging everybody to be polyamorous, but having even the courage to talk about it, it's going to be a very big step in the whole entirety of human evolution. 
I'm not sure whether it's really improvement because 200 years ago, having multiple partners was very common, especially in rich families. Yeah. Then things were just like that. I mean, it was okay to have a few partners. Mm. And now we have romanticized that having this one ideal partner that's faithful to you and loyal to you your entire lifetime has become the epitome of relationships. So I'm not sure whether, where are we really going with this? But also, mm -hmm. it's back to that communication. Yes. If you can just go back to your partner and have the why you're not happy, why you're not feeling. Also, it's putting a bit of effort sometimes, right? Because yes. I think the longer you are, you can choose work harder and keep it together mm -hmm. or just grow separate paths. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's easier for paths. I think, like, I mean, I, I have children, for example, I have two kids, and I really is a massive change when you became a mother. Yes. Like, anymore. Yes. There's so many other things. And I remember that moment. And my husband and I, like, just after our first kid, going out for dinner, intentionally to say, hey, we need to reconnect. Yes. I feel like we're in crossroads. And we can go different ways. And it's, it's so easy. You see it, it in is. front of your face, right? Yeah. I don't think that communication, that conscious effort yes. is really key. And I guess that's why you help facilitate them, correct? So in case, for example, go back to infidelity, mm -hmm. how do you navigate that? Do you help that? Do you see couples getting back to it and stronger than ever? Oh, Yes. That happens with every major challenge. It's always an opportunity for couples to reassess what they want. And when they choose again, it's going to be a lot more powerful. One aspect is to help the one who has been cheated on to heal from the process because betrayal can be very intense. So there's a healing process that's involved. And then for the person who has cheated is to help him or her understand why he or she did it. What is it about? And then for the other person to also understand in the greater context, how at what point did the relationship stop working as well? Because it's definitely not at the moment that he or she cheated and stopped working. Yeah, not working for a while. And getting them to start owning the mistakes that they did unknowingly and the reconciliation process that happens. And then, of course, there's a big part. It's about recreating a vision together. What do they now envision their marriage to be? Because at the start of the marriage, it might be, okay, let's start a family. Let's make sure there's enough food on the table. Let's make sure the kids are taken care of. And now that 10 years, 15 years down the road, income is stable, the kids are grown up, there's no more vision. The vision is completed. And then what's next for this relationship? So it's about co-creating that. Yeah, so important. I think sometimes we live in busy lives. And that takes me to, so I ask the audience some questions mm -hmm. that they ask, we answer, but there's other questions that the audience have asked for you. And one of them is linked to that. So that's what I thought about it. First of all, thank you so much for those who sent these anonymous questions. But one of them is like, why after more than 20 years of marriage, I still feel shy when it comes to start having sex and I prefer that my husband's initiative? Oh, that's very normal. Okay, don't think that you're abnormal just because you're shy after 20 years. So the stereotype is that men are the ones initiate. And if females initiate, it makes us feel like we are a whore or something. Yeah, and it's really about Letting go of that mindset and trusting that your husband is not going to judge you for it. Again, we talk about open communication. So outside the bedroom, I have this little card. It's called a yes, no, maybe list where I get couples to start. If they don't know where to start, this is a good start where there's a list of activities ranging for something, something very vanilla, like bathing together, just caressing. Do something that is more wow like doing sex in the rimming trips and swinging, the extremes of it. Mm -hmm. So that couples can start talking about it. what are they comfortable with and what is just way out of the zone. I will recommend this for new couples as well as for more mature couples when you have ran out of things. If not every sex is just a routine. I just recently watched the movie 
Good Luck Leo Grand. Oh, I haven't seen it. It's a very slow movie, but I like the whole construct of it. It talks about this senior lady in her, I think, 50s, 60s. She's a religious teacher. So she has been married to her husband for 30 over years, and the husband passed away two years ago. And the sex was the same every time. Both of them naked in bed, the husband climbed on top of him, do the same, and then flip back on his bed where the pajamas and was there was the end. So after her husband passed, she hired a sex worker to want to explore her sexuality. So there was a lot of challenges and a lot of inner thoughts she faced. So maybe for this particular person who asked a question, this lady here, it would be great to watch the movie. There's a lot of resonating points on how she actually overcome her struggles and to embrace herself. Because for the first time ever, not on the first encounter, of course, after a few encounters, she managed to have her first orgasm. She never had them. So it was very liberating for her. Amazing. Good reference there. Maybe carry on with the questions because we have a couple more if that's okay with you. Yeah, go ahead. Another one is how to ensure as a busy woman that I can switch into relaxed mode to create more intimacy in the evening with Michael. One, I always like to be, I'm a little bit cheeky as a person. So I like to ask my clients, why are you so busy for? What's the business about? Tell me. Why are you packing your life with so many things? So that's the innovative aspect of it. And the technical aspect is really look at the calendar, block out intimacy time. Not really for sex all the time. It could be just having an intimate talk. It could just be caressing. It could just be lying naked, which either in bed, something doesn't matter. Schedule it so that you are mentally prepared for something to happen. And it's not like your husband caught you off guard in the middle of you writing a shopping list, for example. It can be very disruptive that way. So schedule it so that time is put aside. And before that, half an hour, you can just go into a get-ready routine. For example, a nice bath, putting up fresh sheets, anything that helps to remind you of, oh, I'm going to get happy times. So little things like that. So getting into the mood. And then, of course, putting aside your clutter. So you might not be able to finish everything on your to-do list, but just simply writing things that you need to do on a to-do list can help to offload the mental clutter in a way. It's advice. We have another one here, yes. which is how frequently do healthy couples over 60 years old have sex? I don't know because it's not published in the papers. <laughs> I'll go back to the same question. Again, at 60 years old, you might not be having bank title sex, but if you're having regular intimate time, just cuddling, just fondling, not even penetrative all the time. If penetration is still available for both, great. If it's not, then... That's fine too. And when you're 60, I believe your kids have stopped knocking on your doors. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> and if you're retired, you can do it anytime you want. The more is how are you spending your, your days together. I think that, that's more important. How you're reconnecting. Because, you know, after 40 years of fighting yourself in the career, raising kids, what's important for both of you now as a couple? How you're spending your time meaningfully. That makes sense. I think as well, it's not in here, we're just talking to friends closely and some of them going through reaching the menopause, their libidos so yeah. dropping down. Yes. What's your advice at that time in life? Libido fluctuates. Or I wouldn't say that menopause is the ultimate killer. I mean, it does affect with all the hot flushes, the dryness in the vagina. You really don't have to be flapping touched. But say, keep the intimacy going. You might not focus on intercourse, like I said. You can focus on the touches, the caressing, just feeling love and desired. Because going through menopause, some of us may feel that, oh no, our breasts are getting a bit more saggy, there's more fats on my waist, on my thighs, and I feel really ugly. But having your partner come in and say, he or she still adores you for who you are, I think it makes a big difference to build out the closeness in itself. 
That's beautiful. Really nice and grateful. <laughs> and carry on on that fear on empowerment and how, what do you think are the strategies that you can employ to empower individuals to embrace their sexuality and their intimacy to be more positively? I think you give us a lot mm-hmm. of examples, but mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. anything else in there that you think yeah. you can. I would say if you have time to do a bit of self-reflection, do we look at what prevents you from being fully free in terms of your sexual expression? For women, a lot of time this boils down to how you look. Is my arms too fat? Am I too flat? Am I too big? So a lot of this, I run workshops. So there's one of the segments that I run in workshop is how to fall in love with your body again. Especially for mothers out there, one of the things that I say, okay, look at your semi-tummy and that appreciate it. Mm. Yes, look at your arms, but those are the arms that carry your baby for the first two years. Yes, your saggy breast, your breast fat there, whether it's one month, two months, three months, a year or a few years, this body parts ought to be loved. So sometimes it starts with oneself, right? Rather than, than thinking about the others, like if you have that self-love, self-esteem, that's maybe 80% there, no? If not more. Yeah, you think you're beautiful in your own way, who's there to judge you for it? So important. So do you have any success stories when somebody's journey with a sexual wellness really impacted their life? You must have seen quite a lot of your clients. I have helped couples go into infidelity. For the first time when they came in, they say, I'm still angry with him or her. I can't have sex. So eventually they have their most beautiful sex in years. I have couples who have come in, they haven't had sex for eight, nine years properly. And then one day they walked in and say, that was the best sex ever. I have couples who struggles with tau dysfunction and then who come in and tell me, oh, you know what? We had the best sex and there was no intercourse. And all these are beautiful stories. And then I have recently this other guy who has ejaculation issues who told me my wife is pregnant. So I think with effort, with the right type of effort to emphasize, <laughs> not just any effort, if you know where to put the effort in, they can manifest. There will be challenges, there will be barriers because I also know of clients who decided that it's just not working. And then I've also empowered clients to part amiably because things are just not working out. And this empowerment in its own way is not like always staying together is the best. But how do every one of us find that meaning and fulfillment in love in life? And that is more relevant in the bigger picture of things. So yes, I have tons of those stories. Amazing. I'm sure it's really nice to have such a on individuals. So thank you for sharing. I think we could be talking for hours. <laughs> I was going to make it too short and sweet, and we always can have people asking for more things, and maybe we can just deep dive in one of the topics mm-hmm. if they like to. Is there any last thoughts or anything that you would like to share that we haven't covered today? I think I'll just summarize on whatever I said. Love is a powerful thing, but you have to start within ourselves. When we can love ourselves, love our body, love our sexuality, love who we are as a person. That's where we can shine and that's where we can truly love somebody else too. Beautiful. So true. And my last question, which I ask to everybody that thinks of the wellness fit, it's do you have a wellness practice? It doesn't need to be on space. <laughs> just to be clear, I'm nasty. <laughs> but just do you have any daily wellness routine? I wouldn't say a daily thing, but as a coach myself, what I see as important is I get worked on my issues. So on a regular basis, I go for my emotional detox. And I have coaching peers that I have a sounding box regularly when I'm stressed, when I overwhelm my own things. I have someone to coach me out of it. So it's not like being a coach me like an expert in everything. 
especially the things that I struggle with because we all have our blind spots. That instead, for everyone who thinks counseling, therapy, coaching is like a stigma of a taboo, no, it's something, it's a healthy habit to have. Very nice. And I think it's important to be aware when you need help. Mm-hmm. It's the same what people come for you, but just anybody for yourself. Yeah, but we had to make it a bit earlier because I always see cases very late. Uh, yes, but I think it's that. It's admitting that you need help. It's mm-hmm. not an easy step. Yes. But if you can do it, it's just the best. It is. <laughs> At all levels. Thank you so much, Dr. Angela. It's been fantastic to be here and to be talking to you. I think you've got amazing insights and a lot of people will have learn a lot today yeah I'm glad too thank you for inviting Monse I really enjoyed this conversation that we have together today thank you thank you thank you for joining us on the Wellness Hub today if you're as intrigued by today's conversation as we are and want to dive deeper or connect with our guests visit our website at www.thewellnesshub.com there you'll find links to our guest work articles and ways to connect with us on social media Your thoughts, questions, and suggestions are essential to shaping our future episodes. Let's co-create a space that resonates with your interests and empowers your wellness journey. We truly appreciate your support and can't wait to have you back with us for our next chat. Until then, take care and consider adding one little thing to your life that makes you feel better.